0: Hello and welcome to CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogan. I am joined by Nicholas, Ian, Allen, owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. You can find them both on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, and at CFB Winning Edge for Nick. Fellas, how was your conference championship week?
1: It was good. It was a nice uh, way to end the regular season, sort of a, a long sprint to the finish, Felt like, but we were treated to a couple of upsets, uh, some some really good uh, games overall, and uh, our projections had a a really nice week, which was good. Excited to see all the bowl matchups on Sunday. We now we know you know who's in the playoff, and so we can stop sort of debating all of that. Things are set, ready for uh, what probably should be uh, the most talented group. Of playoff teams that we've had and and some uh, exciting bowl matchups as well and of course already starting to uh, Look ahead to 2020. So pretty exciting time of year as far as i'm concerned
0: Xavier, how did you like conference championship week?
2: I mean, it's always a fun time to see the best teams in the country go at each other Um, I think the results were a little boring, but I think the games themselves were good I think you could learn you learned a lot about the teams that ended up in the playoffs from the games that they played. And uh, that's what Conference Championship Week is really for. Um, I think the only team we didn't learn anything about was probably Clemson. But other than that, I think we learned a lot about everybody else who's in the playoff. And the teams who didn't make it in, uh, like Utah's and Oregon's as well.
0: So, my apology to Utah, by the way. That is my bad. I bet 20 bucks on them. So that is probably the reason why that happened. Baylor, Oklahoma was a ton of fun. That game went into overtime, <clears throat> thirty to twenty-three. Here, I mean, Nick, let's just dive right in. What did you see in the Big Twelve Championship?
1: Well, I first the first thing that stuck out to me. I was pretty impressed with the Oklahoma defense, and I think Xavier is probably going to uh, disagree with me on that, uh, based on some of the things he said before we got on uh, to record here. But uh, I, I was pretty impressed with specifically. Uh, the way that they got after the quarterback late in the game and I know Baylor was down to their third stringer uh, at quarterback after Charlie Brewer got uh, hurt looked like maybe a a head injury and then uh, Bohannon couldn't quite get loose he had been a little banged up leading up to that as well so they had to go to Jacob Zeno and and uh, had a couple of Long pass plays with him, which, you know, made the defense, of course, look a little bit shaky, but um, towards the end of the game, and especially in overtime, the Sooners were just uh, getting to the quarterback relentlessly, and he had no time to operate. They dominated that overtime period, and, you know, usually those sort of situations are, are a coin flip, but it was great to see Oklahoma come out and you know put together a, a quick touchdown and then just... The defense took over and Baylor really had no chance. And if, if, you know, that small little snapshot, the way that they dominated the line of scrimmage late in the game, is something uh, that they can carry over into the playoff, Oklahoma's going to be a dangerous team. But, um, you know, for Baylor, it was a, it was a uh, solid effort. Couldn't get the running game going, uh, down to the third string quarterback. Defense played really well other than you know they they did allow 12 yards per pass to Jalen Hurts and CeeDee Lamb got loose. But uh, overall, I think it was uh, a great season for Baylor. They're going to have a a fun opportunity against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. But Oklahoma, I was really uh, pleased, really impressed with what I saw defensively towards the end of the game, excited to see if they can carry that over.
0: Uh, Xavier, you kind of see the same thing going on here for Oklahoma? Um,
2: I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I see a team that, like I said last week, is, is so one-person centric. And it really feels like Jalen Hurts, CeeDee Lamb, and company. Um, and as far as he goes, they go. As far as Nick's point on the defense, I couldn't disagree more. You gave up 10 points to a third-string quarterback. You just don't do that. Um, I don't care who the third stringer is. Honestly, you don't allow that to happen not in the fourth quarter um when you t- when your offense is giving you a good enough cushion to win a ball game with. Uh, especially giving up, if I'm not mistaken, a ninety plus yard drive to also tie the ball game up. that, that that's just unacceptable. Uh, what you do what you know, they made up for it in overtime, and that's great. you know that looks good. Um, but that would be worrisome for me um, as they were able to move the ball against my defense with a guy who has taken all of, who who threw all of five passes um, or six passes, excuse me. Um, As far as the the offense is concerned, once again, Jalen Hurts had to do it all. He had 23 carries that goes along with 24 pass attempts. Um, And, you know, without having much success on on the ground, they couldn't really get it done through the air. Uh, CeeDee Lamb got loose for what was uh, the biggest play of the game for him. Um, and and makes his 173 yard total look a lot better. Um, this team, I don't know what to think about Oklahoma at this point. Um, they, they, they worry me because they have kind of fallen into the fourth spot at this, at this point for me. Um, and we'll see come playoff time, but right now I would not be a confident Oklahoma fan. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, um, the going up against, uh, Ohio state is not, or, uh, they're going up against LSU, not going to be fun for them. Uh, right. And I don't, I don't think they're going to win. But I do think that if they had to pick a team to go against, I think it probably would be LSU because LSU's defense, it, I would probably rank it third, behind Clemson and behind Ohio State. So and then LSU and then Oklahoma has been bad. So I think if they can go point for point with a team, it's probably LSU. But uh, you know they they won this one. I know it went to overtime, but it always kind of felt like. Oklahoma had this one. Uh, m- maybe uh, I'm mistaken because this went in overtime, but I kind of like as soon as overtime started, I my thought process was how does Oklahoma win this game? So, uh, going over to your game, uh, LSU over Georgia 37 to 10 in this one. Uh, I one of us said LSU was going to win this game and it wasn't going to be close can't remember who that was that is the of <laughs> oh, between the two georgia fans and me but uh lsu rolls in this one nick i mean it really wasn't close and i apologize because i know that probably hurt to watch
1: uh well if uh if memory serves i i was pretty bullish on lsu's chances and i know our numbers gave lsu a, a slight edge to cover in the game so it it, it is a weird uh position to be in because <laughs> i do have a, a little bit of a rooting interest in georgia but uh first and foremost what matters to me are, are the numbers you know are, are we hitting our projections and uh did expect a, a little bit closer game we had a, a an eight point difference in the final score but lsu uh really did you know i think made a statement here i mean georgia had in the first drive, and, and Xavier's got some thoughts on this. I know uh, Georgia had an opportunity to to connect on a couple of big pass plays early, and had a drop, had a uh, you know some uh, a couple of inaccurate passes in the first couple of drives, missed opportunities there, uh, and LSU, you know, it, it was sort of a similar situation to the Alabama game Alabama drove down and had a chance to score and then Tua fumbled on that opening drive and then LSU just boom touchdown and this time you know Georgia had a couple of long potential uh pass plays they weren't able to connect and then LSU boom touchdown and then from that point you're trying to play catch up and and we just have not seen anybody be able to catch up with LSU and and, uh, they were uh, as impressive as they've been all year. Offensively, Joe Burrow, another plus 300 yard day, four touchdowns, no interceptions, you know, against a Georgia defense that is one of the most talented in the country and statistically had been uh, among the nation's best you know a top five unit probably uh all season so this was a very impressive performance for lsu uh also uh uh, i know georgia has had its struggles offensively and and deandre uh, swift was banged up coming in lawrence cager was out uh unfortunately we saw um, Dominic Blalock suffered a torn ACL and then George Pickens was suspended the first half. So they were, they were playing shorthanded offensively, but, uh, even Rodrigo LSU, Blankenship
0: missed a field goal. Like that's true. And was yeah. he trying out for the bears? I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> uh,
1: but, uh, yeah, L, you know, the, the LSU defense came to play, uh, was able to, basically you know Georgia wasn't able to run the ball all game uh, and they only averaged 5.2 yards per pass so um, whether that's Georgia's you know ineptitude we've seen some some pretty uh, poor performances offensively from them recently, but I do think LSU uh, had certainly something to do with it, and and uh, I think that this was a very impressive performance for them. I, I do completely agree with you that uh, Oklahoma, if they were going to match up with anybody, it's going to be LSU. I think their defense is somewhat susceptible, uh, but. This was a a second straight really solid performance for their defense. They seem to be sort of rounding into shape at the right time. And now with some, you know, some time for uh, some of those guys who've been playing banged up and and things like that, some opportunities to recover, uh, a good chunk of time to prepare. Uh, I'm really excited about that game and, uh, you know, disappointed for Georgia. But, uh, you know, was also not rooting too hard for him because I, I did want LSU to cover. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, that, that's how it sort of shook out for me. It was a weird position to be in.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's got to be strange where your numbers say against your team. So you kind of want that to hit. But, I mean, Xavier, I'm not even I'm not sitting here blaming Georgia for losing. I, I think they've had some terrible luck with injuries this year. Uh, and I don't know. you Jake Fromm might suck. Uh, he, he's probably okay. He's probably not as bad as he's played this year, but he might not be that good. So, I, I mean, this kind of played out exactly how I expected. You picked Georgia in this game, so what went wrong?
2: Well, like Dick mentioned the the play the the play calling early on was was it was evident. Uh, Georgia felt that they had to get out quickly against LSU and probably put them in a position that they have never been in this season, which was have them down early. Um, and fromm just didn't make the uh, correct passes. Um, we had a drop pass that would have been that would have put us into LSU territory early on. That same exact drive, fromm misses on a third down connection with Demetrius Robertson. that would have went for a score if he puts it in stride., uh, the very next drive, we get a stop. and to put go into LSU territory once again, he misses on a third and eight uh, for what was probably gonna be about a sixteen yard reception to put us, you know rather uh, at least in Rodrigo's field goal range. Uh, so that that's ten points wiped off the board right there. Uh, just from lack of execution, um, and and as I watch the game, more so than anything, you could just tell that LSU and, and I haven't seen a guy like Joe Burrow as far as the confidence he's playing with in a while. Um,
0: yeah, he is, was the last one that played yeah. with as much confidence.
2: Yeah, he's playing with a confidence that is 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 scary right now. Um, I didn't know that he was that mobile. And uh, let's just say he looked like Michael Vick at times in the pocket on Saturday. I didn't know that he changed jersey numbers all of a sudden. But the way that he was moving around our defensive line was ridiculous. And, you know, when the guy's playing with confidence where he can throw the ball into the end zone and walk towards the sideline before his player even catches it, it's going to be a long day. (laughs) Uh, You know, and, and just, you know, the defense is young. So that's something that we... As a as a fan base, we have to be you know realistic about uh, only three guys on that defense were juniors or seniors, uh, so you have to be realistic. Um, they got outplayed, and LSU you know is a scary ball club, and um, I'm I'm glad to see that they moved to one because I think that uh, I didn't want to see them play Clemson or Ohio State in the first round. I wanted to see them possibly go to the national championship against one of those two teams. So
0: yeah, I think I think it's definitely going to be a great game between. Uh, them in Oklahoma. We go over to, I mean, I don't know how much we really need to talk about it. Clemson (laughs) beat Virginia 62 (laughs) to 17. Like you said, Xavier, in the open, uh, I don't know that we learned much about this team at all. I mean, Bryce came in at the end. Etienne had 114 yards and a touchdown on 14 carries, 8.1 yard average. T. Higgins had three touchdowns. Virginia could not slow them down at all. They really have no competition in the ACC right now. Is that the same thing you saw, Nick? Uh,
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, this was—I feel like we've seen this game five or six times this year (laughs) at least. I mean, uh, one one thing that that stuck out—I mean, Virginia did have a chance. They they took the ball, and they drove down the field, and if not for, uh, uh, you know, a— Poor decision there in the end zone. Bryce Perkins uh, threw an interception. Clemson was able to make uh, a you know very nice catch to to uh, drag a foot and and, and uh, take over possession there. If if that you know drive they were able to. Um, punch it in, then maybe we're looking at a, a slightly different game. At least, you know, Clemson uh, might have been back on their heels a little bit, you know, being down in a hole uh, early on. But um, uh, one thing that that I noticed, and, and I, last week I was singing uh, Clemson's praises um you know, defensively and Virginia put some drives together, including that first one. Uh, and I was following along, uh, the game on Twitter and, and a couple of coaches that, uh, I respect their opinion. A couple of high school coaches were talking about that, uh, this Clemson team, uh, is, is obviously very, very good, uh, very talented, but, uh, they, they believe that they might be a little more susceptible than, um, you know that those numbers would show. Yeah, they're not and, and we battle tested. That, that,
0: that right. was that was what Xavier brought up last week. Is uh, they're not battle tested. So I think they're probably the most unpredictable team going into the the playoff. Right, Clemson. I mean, they're really good. <laughs> well, but... I
2: mean, I, you know, honestly, I don't think so. Um uh, and, and i think it's because of who their head coaches um you know when 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 we when we say when you say unpredictable do you mean that in a negative way or a positive
0: way? no i well i mean just we don't know because they haven't been battle tested what? like if they get yeah. smashed by ohio state i will not be shocked in the least if they beat ohio state by 50 i'll be like well that's clemson for you because mm-hmm. i just don't know because you know the only danger they were in the whole year was against north carolina Uh, in a bad week. So, and every team has that type of week, uh, it seems unless you're LSU. So, um, I just don't know a hundred percent what to expect is all, I mean, they're, they're really good. I I think if I make my predictions, uh, if, if I'm making my predictions, my prediction is that Clemson is going to play a tight game with Ohio state. And it's going to be a very fun one to watch. And I really wish I didn't have to sell a kidney to get a ticket because it's in Glendale right down the street from me. So it's about 30 minutes away. Uh, (laughs) I could get there, but I would have to sell an organ to buy a ticket to that game. So, um, you know, if anyone uh, has a ticket at Bogman sports on the Twitter, Scott, Bogman at (laughs) gmail.com, just uh, throwing that out there. But, uh, I just, I don't know 100% what to expect from them is all because they aren't battle-tested, right?
2: Well, I, I agree. I think that they're not battle-tested, but at least offensively, I know what I'm getting from this ball club. Yes. I yes. think we, I think that side of the ball, we know. We know about Trevor Lawrence, We know about St. Inti. We know about T. Higgins. We know about that offense. We know what they did in the national championship game last year, and not much has changed, and there hasn't been much turnover from that offense. The only thing is, defensively, do we know yet? Um, and they haven't played an offense... Near what they'll see, you know, uh, on the twenty eighth uh, when they play Ohio State. But offensively, I know they can run with anybody in the country. Defensively is is what's still up in the air. But with that defensive coordinator, I feel confident about that team. Um, I think they're the most. The coaching staff is the most battle tested out of all the coaching staffs um, in the playoff, though. So I do feel confident about the defense in that regard.
0: Nick, what do you think? Do you think my prediction of Clemson being somewhat unpredictable because they aren't battle tested. Is that a fair assessment or is that not fair because they're Clemson and they're still one of the best teams in the country?
1: I've been really impressed with Clemson. I mean, they, they have been so dominant that it, it, I kind of give that the front seat, so to speak. Um, But it's a fair point. I mean, they they have not been battle-tested, you know, since the—and really only against North Carolina, that one uh, sort of almost (laughs) slip-up. But just the the numbers that they put up, the um, just dominance they've shown on both sides of the ball, uh, I I think this is a really, really good team. I mean, I I mentioned this briefly last week, Clemson has been— Our number one team in our team strength ratings since Tua's first injury. Um, It it was very close with Alabama uh, throughout the entire uh, regular season, Uh, but but once Tua was questionable to play that next game or or knew that he was going to be out and then uh, was not 100%, Clemson has held on to that number one spot each week and That made me really nervous at first, but sort of as I've seen over the last five or six weeks, I've gotten more and more confident with that. I think that this is the best team in the country. Um, And, and, you know, we don't necessarily know how they're going to react. It's been so long since they've been tested. Ohio State is certainly capable of doing it. So, uh, you know, if they get down early, something like that, maybe they don't quite, you know, maybe they're just not able to respond. I don't know. But right now, I feel pretty confident in Clemson. I think, you know, made them a slight favorite over Ohio State. Uh, Plenty of, you know, things can change leading up to that, of course. But um, I feel pretty confident with that. I think this is the number one team right now.
0: And the last one to go over as far as the teams in the playoff is Ohio State Thirty-four over Wisconsin, twenty-one. This one uh, played closer than the last game, but Ohio Ohio State, of course, took over. And you know, for all the worry about Justin Fields, uh, nineteen to thirty-one, two ninety-nine and three scores. And uh, J.K. Dobbins, thirty-three rushes, one hundred and seventy-two yards, and another touchdown. Uh, you know, I can't wait. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, guys that declared. At some point in the offseason here, Eno just declared uh, J.K. Dobbins is going to be a lot of fun to watch at the next level. But uh, what did you see in this Big Ten title game, Nick?
2: Hey, guys. one Real quick. I got a uh, a guy's here fixing our heat, and he needs me to go check on something downstairs. Okay. Okay, cool. Give me one minute.
0: Yeah, we'll have – hey, I'll have Nick talk, and then uh, okay. when you come yeah. back, I'll have you say your piece. So, All right, <laughs> that sounds good. All right.
1: Just do the same as uh, as we did last time. Yeah, Ooh, had to had to run downstairs real quick. All right, you're good. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll go. Yeah, th- this game was uh, it was it was surprising to be honest. I mean, it was very surprising for me to see Wisconsin uh, come out and really sort of put it to Ohio State for the first couple of quarters. I mean, uh, the the first quarter we saw them really, uh, you know. Jonathan Taylor was able to get going. We talked last week about how uh, in his two previous games against Ohio State were arguably his worst performances of his career, his probably Hall of Fame career, uh, and Ohio State had really kept him in check. Uh, each of those first two games, and and including this season, but uh, he was able to to get loose a little bit, break off a couple of long runs, and and uh, Wisconsin came out and made a statement. Jack Cohn looked pretty good. He he you know similar to Joe Burrow, maybe not quite as uh, quick maybe on, on some of them, but he was able to get things going uh, in the run game as well, sort of added a, a different element that Ohio State had to, uh, you know, contend with. And he was able to find Quintez Cephas for uh, some big plays in that first half. They really, really did uh, sort of, you know, grab the momentum, grab uh, the opportunities that were there, and and uh, it, it looked like they were in control. I mean, the, the conversation uh, on Twitter and things like that were, you know, okay, no, now how do we get uh, Wisconsin in? Is this team better than Oklahoma? And uh, it, it looked like it was going to turn when uh, Ohio State was down 14-0, was able to uh, get a touchdown drive. And I thought, you know, okay, now – Things are things are fine. Ohio State's going to come back. They're going to take control, uh, and it was just before uh, halftime. But Wisconsin, in four plays, goes seventy-five yards in roughly thirty seconds to just immediately take control again, and then took a twenty-one-seven lead into the locker room at halftime. Uh, it, it, you know, I thought at that point, like, okay, maybe they can do it. Right, Uh, right. So my mind just just changed uh, instantly. I was I was
0: the same thing was going through my mind. It's funny that you said that because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, okay, this is going to go into halftime. They're going to be down by a touchdown. They're going to come out and score like four immediately. And this is not going to be a game. And uh, then Wisconsin got that touchdown before the half, and you're like, maybe maybe there's a shot here because Ohio State is not playing their best game right now.
1: Right, exactly, and and, uh, then it it was almost like whiplash that the same thing happened after that Ohio State uh, opening drive right after halftime. They just go down five plays, 75 yards, and, you know, a minute and a half, and then they thought, okay, now Ohio State's in
0: control.
1: (laughs) At that point, really, they were. I mean, Wisconsin on the following drive, Uh, Ohio State had to settle for a field goal, but then, you know, from that point, it really did seem like – the Buckeyes sort of re, you know, took control, uh, and, uh, and you know they they looked like the Ohio State team that we were used to seeing in the second half, and and it was a solid win for them. This unfortunately was the only one uh, that we did not our our projections. Uh, this one came up just. Sure. Uh, We had them, it was a 16 point line. We had Ohio State by like 18. You know, if they hadn't started slow, if they hadn't settled for that field goal uh, in the second drive of the second half, maybe we would have got there. But uh, overall, you know, still a pretty impressive performance for Ohio State. We saw them deal with a little bit of adversity. Uh, So, you know, contrasting that with what we were talking about Clemson, we haven't seen them face any adversity in a while. Well, Ohio State in their last game, Face some adversity, was able to overcome it. So that's a good sign moving forward. And you know, I I, I don't think that. Uh, this performance takes anything away from Ohio State in any way Wisconsin's a solid team yeah. we've seen them be very very good all year their team performance ratings have been in the top 10 at certain points uh, you know a solid top 15 top 20 type team so uh, it was a it was a overall good performance it just sort of the way it unfolded maybe we started to question a little bit but Ohio State righted the ship and and sort of uh, you know, this outcome, if if uh, it had been reversed, we would have looked at this final score and thought, okay, you know, if if Ohio State had come out hot, built a big early lead, and then Wisconsin got a couple of late scores, then, you know, we would have thought, uh, no big deal. But just sort of the way this game unfolded, we maybe thought about it for a little bit, questioned things for a little bit. But uh, I think it was a solid performance, good win for Ohio State, and, and uh, you know, Wisconsin, good effort for them.
0: Yeah, Wisconsin obviously a great team, and uh, they're gonna go far. Uh, Xavier, you good?
2: All right. So what I saw from the Wisconsin Ohio State game was honestly a resiliency from Ohio State, and I know we talked about it in, uh, when they played Penn State and how they got punched in the mouth, and they were able to kind of you know return to form later on in that game. But this was a real test for Ohio State. Um, Wisconsin obviously came out fourteen points like wildfire, and they were really playing well. Um, I think in that time that I watched that game, um, there's some glaring issues, I think, with Ohio State's defense that I'll get into in just a second. Uh, But they were able to battle back. Um, They were able to finish out the game strong um, and lock down the Wisconsin offense in the second half um, and and ultimately win the game. But what I will say is that what I think really hurt Ohio State, and it kind of surprised me because you would think that because they see it in practice every week, they wouldn't be so surprised by it. But Jack Cohn being able to run the football really hurt Ohio State um, in the first quarter, in the first half. Um, his ability to, to, to take the ball away from Jonathan Taylor and really shocked the Ohio State defense. And it shocked me because, you know, you have Justin Fields on the other side. You would expect, you know, they understand what a dual that quarterback can do and they would be prepared for it. Uh, they just didn't look prepared at that time. Um, Jonathan Taylor obviously got loose a couple of times and they looked confused up front. Um, The other issue that I saw from Ohio State, and this is offensively, was especially when they play a team like LSU, whose secondary is as good as it is, their receivers don't scare anybody. And I think Wisconsin played that way this time. Um, Olave didn't really have, you know, the type of game he had. Um, and, the, and the touchdowns early on came from the tight ends um, on really blown coverages down the seam. Um, They really weren't, you know, the big plays down the sideline that we're accustomed to them doing. Um, And I think that that's something that uh, I think LSU is going to look at and go, okay, so their receivers outside of maybe Chris Olave and KJ Hill don't scare us to that much of an extent. Um, J.K. Dobbins had an amazing day. Again, he continues to impress and his draft stock continues to ascend um, as much as it possibly can. Um, He's probably somewhere now in the early second round uh, draft pick at this point. Um, if not late first rounder. But no, Ohio State, outside of those two issues with the lack of uh, explosiveness necessarily from the receiving core that I saw in the first half and them kind of being shaky against a, a quarterback that was willing to run, um, they, they they once again looked impressive. So,
0: Yeah, it's going to be a fun matchup between them and Clemson. But uh, that that is all of the uh, conference championship games with the teams that made the playoffs. Are there any other of these conference games that you guys would like to speak on. I mean, there was some fun ones. The, the one on Friday night wasn't fun for me. Uh, and I was going to say, you apologize. (laughs) Yeah. Oregon, Oregon got out to a big lead there. I was surprised. Miami of Ohio beat central Michigan, uh, app state over Louisiana. Lafayette was expected FAU over UAB, huge UAB just had nothing. Uh, Memphis and Cincinnati locked up again. A lot of people in on Cincinnati in that game they beat the spread didn't they nick wasn't the spread bigger than five yeah uh
1: yes it was and and uh uh so that that game played out pretty similarly to the previous game and, and also pretty similarly to what our projection had so uh we were actually five and one uh in games with ranked versus ranked teams so that that was good to see for sure we also got uh, Miami of Ohio didn't expect them to win but did have uh, them to, to cover slightly so that was uh, six for us but then the other three uh, did not see App State uh, I mean that, that game ended up being closer uh, it was a six and a half point spread they won by seven but App State really was dominant in the first yeah. half of that game and, and didn't see it qu- playing out quite like that um, we I think overrated maybe UAB played a, 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 I went back and looked afterwards uab has played a a really really uh soft schedule arguably the softest in the country so perhaps our our numbers didn't quite uh catch that and fau just completely uh blew them out of the water hawaii just sort of uh fell apart in the last minute uh before halftime they were it was three to three and then uh boise state scored two touchdowns in like uh, something ridiculous like 20 <laughs> seconds or something and and from that point it just you know the game got away from them so uh we missed on those but overall uh other than you know was pretty disappointed in utah we did uh, i i i i feel like i need to uh, you know slap you on the wrist a little bit because we talked last week and our numbers had Oregon covering so I I know I've been you know, I just wanted about to take
0: Utah to make it interesting <laughs> and it made the game I understand, game less I understand interesting.
1: but but we told you Oregon was going to cover. I I didn't I, see a player like that for, for well, sure I mean it's disappointing it's, uh performance by Utah it looked for a second like Oregon, like it was playing out very, very similar to the Auburn game where they jumped out huge and then uh, let Auburn get back in. And Auburn was, of course, able to come back and win it. But, uh, you know, give credit to Oregon. And uh, Kaylon Thibodeau, by the way, is going to be so much fun to watch. Um, But uh, Oregon was able to, to, you know, stop the bleeding and then uh, reestablish control of that game so good for them disappointing for utah but uh otherwise overall uh pretty pretty solid day for us and and i think a good day um good good you know final weekend to get to see some of these championship teams so um yeah it was a was overall a, a pretty
0: solid week Thibodeau yeah. was in tyler huntley's face every yeah, I play think-
2: I texted you guys in the chat. I think we forgot how good Oregon was because I think the thing I know me and Nick kind of bounced back and forth on the podcast talking about how the the really big reason why we felt Oregon was going to lose that that ball game was lack of health, Um, and and that overall we thought the lack of you know the the fact that they had so many injuries was going to be their biggest hindrance. But, man, if they didn't look like the best team in the Pac-12, then I don't know what you have to say. Uh, They look like the team that was picked to win the conference to start the season off. So I think we lost sight of that maybe because of the Arizona State loss, um, how unimpressive they looked in that game, and how close that was to the Pac-12 championship game, and how impressive Utah looked down the stretch. But, man, Oregon really took those boys to the woodshed when it was necessary.
0: Yeah, they really did. And right as soon as you thought they were going to start climbing back in it, um, you know, that that uh, Utah is going to start climbing back in it. Oregon was like, nope, we'll nope. match your touchdown, <laughs> and then we'll have another one and then another one, and it's over with. So uh, disappointing to say the least, but one game this week uh, does involve a ranked team. Number 23, Army and Navy. Our, uh, Navy, a 10.5-point um, favorite in this game. The over, uh, I just went away from it for a second, the over in this game is 40 so nick how do you see the classic army versus navy game playing out for this season
1: well, it, it's interesting because Army at the beginning of the year, you know, was going back and, and looking at our, you know, who did we pick for the playoff and sort of and scrolling through some of our preseason projections. And Army, uh, we had as an underdog in only one game against Michigan and everybody else. You know, there were some some toss ups there, but they were favored in the preseason and all other games, and and this is a team that won ten games last year. They've been very very good, and and this uh, you know this was actually one of the more experienced Army teams that we've seen in a while. But they've struggled with some injuries. They sort of got off on the wrong foot a couple of times, and and lost some games maybe they shouldn't have. Um, and from there. Just weren't really able to to recapture things, and and the quarterback position, unfortunately, they've really uh, struggled with injuries. Kelvin Hopkins uh, had missed some time. Uh, Jabari Laws was also banged up, so they've they've uh, recently had to go at times to a third stringer. So uh, hopefully, we'll be able to see those guys back in action. This week, and and something close to full strength. Otherwise, you know this this Navy team is really really good, and we talked about them briefly a, a couple of weeks ago uh, when they were getting ready to play. Notre Dame, and and that game, of course, didn't didn't quite work out this way. But we talked about how far the Navy defense has come, how much better they have gotten this year compared to last. And uh, you know, these two teams are very familiar with one another, so you know, def- defense was always going to be probably uh, the the biggest factor in this game i mean we have not seen high scoring games recently uh i believe it's going to be cold in philadelphia and and so that you know doesn't really uh lend itself to a big score and and um the the you know the passing game probably is going to be pretty close to non-existent not only Mm -hmm. because these are triple option teams but uh they they practice against it you know all year and they've played the same uh you know they've played each other uh obviously every year so they're not gonna be surprised by you know the the naked boot, the waggle, the, you know, all this sort of stuff that that uh, they're able to connect for huge gains in the passing game with surprise attacks against other opponents that they don't see very often or don't practice against the triple option as much. You know, these two defenses, they're gonna they're gonna be sound. Uh, They're gonna to uh, probably, you're not going to see uh, some huge missed assignments and and let a receiver uh, just get wide open. Uh, but uh, Navy, Malcolm Perry is is one of the most fun quarterbacks in my opinion to watch in the country. He's been uh, incredible this year. Has put up huge rushing numbers um and he's got some some backs to work with i mean we've seen nelson smith in the past cj williams both of those guys are are capable of doing good things but uh jamel Carruthers, who's by who started the year on the jv uh and then has just emerged as a beast at fullback i mean he is really fun to watch incredibly difficult to bring down uh, and has a little bit of speed. He's run away from some some guys on some long touchdowns this year. So I think Navy uh, is the better team. I think they're better on both sides of the ball. But the familiarity uh, and the conditions makes me think that uh, this game is going to be a little tighter than that 10.5-point spread. Our numbers have it at 8.75, and I do think it's going to be a pretty – low-scoring game. So uh, our projections, Navy 23, Army 14, that seems about right. Uh, And and Navy has been so much better this year that it wouldn't completely shock me if they end up winning by two touchdowns. But uh, traditionally, just the way these games normally play out, a low-scoring uh, one score or very close to it uh, type of game is it just seems like the most likely outcome so uh, I feel pretty confident in that Navy 23 Army 14 something in that range
0: how do you feel in this uh, Army Navy matchup Xavier
2: I'm a little sad because I wish that Navy was playing for an opportunity to go to a New Year 6 I think it would be fun with that atmosphere kind of around this game I mean it's already going to be a raucous atmosphere neither one of these teams necessarily they want to beat each other let's put it that way but when the stakes are higher you know crazier things happen um i got to watch army in person um it's not the same army team obviously uh due to injuries uh but this game for me it, it's one of those games that i wouldn't watch if it was during a normal week of college football i'm gonna be honest uh but because they play by themselves i'm kind of forced to watch it um unfortunately the game lasts about an hour and a half because both teams run the triple option um <laughs> uh, but uh, Navy's gonna. Navy should handle this game pretty easily. Uh, I know I picked them when they played Notre Dame um, earlier this year. Um, obviously, that didn't end in what we thought it would. Um, but this Navy team has been good all season. The only two teams that they lost to are Notre Dame and a Memphis team that's going to represent the Group of Five in uh, a New Year Six this year. So you take you take that into account with the quality of teams that they've played this year. Um, they should handle it and they should walk with uh, walk away with a victory pretty easily. I think that ten point spread is is rather generous to army uh, with the amount of people who are injured for them um and how good this navy offense and how good this navy team has been at times this year um i got navy uh more than covering that 10 point spread
0: yeah i think the point spread is a little bit low but I- i'm okay with this total of 23 uh to 14 also because you know Two triple option teams, like you said, this game is going to take about 11 minutes to finish, and uh, I, there's not a lot of chances for scoring. So if everything goes right, it should be a fairly low-scoring game, and I don't like double-digit spreads in uh, overs that are under 50. That I just don't particularly care for that, unless it's just going to be absolute, utter domination, and I think this game is better than that. Uh, as far as uh, competitiveness goes, but uh, we will get to the bowl games and we're going to save that for next week because we're going to have shows every week. So this isn't like any of my CFF shows where we take a week off or anything because there's no fantasy playoffs. We keep going here on CFB winning edge and uh, we want to talk about the awards here. So, um, you know, the Heisman, obviously they announced the final four. It's Burrow, Fields, Hertz and Young, right? Is that it? That's the final four. That's it,
1: that's it and and uh you know good good to see a defensive player get there. I mean, Chase Young, I know we've all said at different times this year, we think he's probably the best player in college football, so he's certainly deserving uh I, i'm I was a little bit surprised, I think, because as soon as he had that two game suspension, whether it was uh unjust or not, uh, you know usually we don't see. A Heisman finalist if he's missed time, um, but he he's just been that good and and uh, he's been a little quieter the last couple of weeks. But we've seen him just you know the first game against Wisconsin was totally dominant uh, against uh, you know Michigan uh, had had some good moments. He was quiet a little bit early, but um, you know uh, and against Penn State of course. But um, happy to see him get the invite uh obviously Joe Burrow runaway <laughs> favorite I mean I think we can uh if his name is not already engraved on the trophy I mean it, it probably could be really soon but um you know it's a it's a nice reward for uh a guy like Jalen Hurts who put a a spectacular statistical season um uh, has dropped off a, a little bit in in recent weeks but just the numbers he put up all year were Incredibly, incredibly impressive, and, and he is a person, uh, from, from my perspective, seems like an incredible person, so happy to for him to have that moment to, to go out and, and be a Heisman finalist. And then Justin Fields uh, really sort of, I think, in some ways, he he really has been the difference for Ohio State this year. And and uh, there were unknowns coming in uh, with a transfer quarterback and a first time first year head coach. You know what is this Ohio State team going to look like? And and he really I think uh, his just overall ability um, really helped. Ohio State sort of take that next step and, and they went from question mark to you know questions answered and, and then just exclamation point I mean this is arguably the best team in the in the country they're very very close with Clemson and as far as our numbers go they have the number one roster strength in the country and, and he's you know big reason for that he's, he's uh, been productive enough that he is now a 100 rated player according to our individual player rating so uh, overall very very impressive group. Uh, but Burrow, just the things that he has done this year, we've talked about him plenty. Uh, he, he's got to be the the runaway here. I mean, he, he's going to put up a historic number, I think.
0: All right, Xavier. So uh, th- this Heisman Award, I felt like Young getting the invite was almost like a, hey, sorry we screwed you out of those two games. Here's an invite to uh, watch Joe Burrow get the Heisman because it is definitely going to Joe Burrow. I mean, this is... You know, Fields absolutely belongs there. I think Hertz does too. He's been, uh, honestly, I think statistically, he's been better than Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. So uh, I think he absolutely deserves to be there. But this is going to Burrow, right? And it's not close. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's it's not close. I, I agree with you on the Chase Young take. I think this is a, a consolation prize for not getting an opportunity to go uh, and for screwing him out of those two games, excuse me. Um, but, yeah, this is Burrow's all the way. Um, I had Hertz as my favorite to begin the year. Um, I think everybody who watched him at Alabama uh, closely knew that he had the opportunity with that scheme at Oklahoma to have an opportunity to win, the, uh, to win the Heisman and be the third Heisman winner in a row for them, which would have been ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Joe Burrow has had an amazing season. I mean, I haven't seen. A, a one-year, I won't call him a one-year wonder because obviously he was there last year and he played uh, and he showed flashes last year. Um, But uh, he hasn't had a dominant, I haven't seen a quarterback have that dominant of a season in the SEC probably since Cam. Um, I know Tua did what he did last year, but Tua also didn't finish it with the SEC championship game. He had to be taken out for Jalen. Burrow from start to finish has looked like you know, with his coming out party versus Texas and then obviously playing and beating Alabama and, uh, you know, week in and week out, just doing ridiculous things and putting on ridiculous amounts of numbers. Uh, He has had the most impressive season as a quarterback in the SEC since Cam, in my opinion. So he walks away with it easily.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 with you. So uh, going over to the Bednarik Award, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Derek Brown, Isaiah Simmons and Chase Young. Is there any way that this doesn't go to Chase Young, Nick?
1: It doesn't seem like it. I mean, I, I might be willing to try to make a case for Isaiah Simmons. I mean, he's been just incredibly fun to watch and, and uh, being able to transition from safety to linebacker. And, and he wasn't the highest rated recruit coming out of uh, of high school, he was kind of a, uh, you know, towards the back end of his recruiting class. And and he's just uh, been able to raise his game and, and just sort of take Mm -hmm. things to a completely uh, new level. And I know a lot of the, you know, NFL draft type guys are, are just, completely taken with him and and are very very excited to see what he can do moving forward but I think yeah Chase Young has just been so uh so incredibly dominant as a pass rusher I mean he's got 16 and a half sacks which uh even with the two game suspension is more than anybody else in the country by two and a half sacks and and it's just uh he, you know and he's facing so many, you know, double teams and and triple teams even at times, and and still it's just very very difficult to slow him down. So I think absolutely this is his award. But uh, Simmons, I think, is a is a strong contender, a strong number two, and then Derek Brown has been very very good. Um, That Auburn defensive line, I mean, Marlon Davidson is is, uh, sort of running mate there uh, up front. They've they've both been very, very good, and and, uh, all of these guys are are a lot of fun to watch. But I think, yeah, Young is just head and shoulders, just kind of at a a completely different level. This is his, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, Xavier, you have anything different, or is it just this is all Chase Young, no question?
2: No, I just can't wait to see the future Atlanta Falcon win, you know, the best defensive player of the year award. That's, uh-huh. that. that'll be fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We, you we better got, hope we, so. Yeah, we hope. <laughs> I might actually watch the Falcons game if, uh, <laughs> <Wild or something. laughs> you know what, you know what, keep it, keep it. We don't care. <laughs> we don't want to. Uh,
0: What about, uh, the Boletnikoff? I love these options. We got Jamar Chase, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Pittman. Uh, Nick, I, who do you have in this one?
1: It, it seems like, chase probably although you know he, he's uh justin jefferson had a had a really really strong start to the year and and sort of uh in some ways seemed like the number one guy at least coming out uh in the early weeks but chase has just been so so good all year long but i think my my favorite to watch on a weekly basis has been Ceedee lamb i mean he he's really been impressive physically i think he's uh more impressive than i expected he, he's he's certainly not you know the biggest guy but he's not you know he's, he's not tiny he does play with some physicality and he just uh, he gets so wide open from time to time and and he makes guys miss uh in space he's just so fun to watch uh michael pittman said at had a, had a incredible year as well i just don't really see um you know uh, usc is just sort of a an afterthought at this point um and and you know he had a huge game against utah and and that was certainly i think a national coming out party of sorts but i think it's it's probably a two-man race between chase and lamb Unfortunately, Lamb had a, a, some injury issues in the last couple of weeks. Maybe that hurts him uh, sort of get over the hump at the end. I think if he had been healthy all year, this probably would have been clearly his. But I'd probably give Chase maybe a fifty-one percent chance and and Lamb forty-nine. I don't think Pittman's going to get there, but all three of these guys have been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, Pittman's had an incredible season too, Xavier. I, but I'm I'm with Nick. I don't think he has much hope to win this award. So, who would you pick between these three guys?
2: yeah honestly i I'd love to say CD lamb should win it um just what he's done and you know that the ball is going to him and nobody else on the field um and it's still not being able to stop him he has 14 touchdowns this year which is third in the country 1200 yards which is seventh um, you know that's that's ridiculous um he like, like Nick said he's physically more impressive than I thought he was um especially after last season I thought you know he's just a straight line runner but this guy is physical. He, you know, breaks tackles and makes people miss. And he's my favorite receiver to watch. Um, I think Chase is going to win it. Um, obviously, honestly, I don't think that you would have even had Chase in your preseason uh top five. I, I know that there's some names people probably had. LaVisca Chenault's not gonna be on, uh, not gonna be there. Uh Taylor Wallace isn't gonna be there. Just some guys who obviously we thought at the beginning of the year uh we're going to have better years than what they had, but kudos to these guys. Uh, I think Pittman gets a little bit more credit for me because he was able to do it with three different quarterbacks. Uh, So I think that's a good point. I like that. That has to add a little bit of a impressive factor to it. Um, Being that the number one target for all three of them um, and being able to get open and make plays um, week in and week out, not knowing who's going to throw you the football. Uh, But I think Jamar Chase runs away with it due to his numbers alone. Um, And yeah, uh, but all of these guys are deserving of the award, in my opinion.
0: I, For whatever reason, I feel like Lamb is going to win this award. And I think it's because he did the most production himself between these three guys, like as far as uh, his team goes. Because like Nick said, Justin Jefferson, and there was a smattering of other different USC wide receivers that could have a big game here and a big game there. But it seemed like it was all CD Lamb for OU. Going over to the Outland Trophy. Uh, best lineman, offensive or defensive. The three finalists, we have two offensive linemen. It's Tyler uh, Beatish, I believe is how you say it, from Wisconsin. And uh, Sewell from Oregon. Uh, I have a difficult time attempting his first name here. Uh, Panay? <laughs> Panay? Uh, I'm not I sure. think it's Panay. Yeah. I think so Panay. Panay. Uh, and then Panay. Uh, Derek Brown from Auburn up for another one of these awards. I feel like Derek Brown is probably going to win this just because He has been a dominant inside force. He was kind of an expected guy going into the season as well. Going to be a very high draft pick. Nick, who do you think uh, walks away with the Outland Trophy?
1: I think Sewell actually has the inside track. And and he uh, was a freshman All-American last year, put up just ridiculous numbers as far as the amount of uh, pressures that he allowed as a true freshman. And and then this year there really uh, was no drop-off at all uh according to pff he's allowed six pressures this year in 436 uh pass blocking opportunities i mean that that's pretty incredible uh he also the guys at pff have him rated uh number one among tackles as far as his run blocking and his overall grade and it's a pretty big gap between he and and the number two guy so um looking at at those numbers and and then I know a lot of the the, uh sort of offensive line observers that I've I've heard and pay attention to the Cole Kubelix and uh Jason Taylor those type guys uh have, have just been you know completely wowed by Sewell as well. So uh, I think Brown is certainly a a worthy candidate. Um, And he, you know, if if he's not going to be able to, to, you know, overcome Chase Young for anything, maybe this would be sort of a a nice uh, feather in the cap for him. But I think Sewell is just as a offensive tackle as good as we've seen in a very, very long time. And and everybody knows it. And so I, I think he's got the inside track here. He is a sophomore, so he, he will have another opportunity next year. But uh, I, I don't necessarily agree that we should defer on on, uh, on that and, and give uh, the more experienced guy the, the award just because. So I personally would vote for Sewell for this. Uh, if I were given the opportunity, I think he's just a special,
0: special player and, and is most deserving. What do you think, Xavier? Who's winning the outland?
2: I think it's going to be Derek Brown. Um, and the reason why I think so is because he he's shown up in every game. Um, and, and you can, and you can look to every single ball game he's played in, even against what arguably a lot of people feel like is the best and most explosive offense in the country in LSU. I mean, he dominated that game, um, to start off. Um, he made Joe Burrow look human. Um, he got after the quarterback. He, the the most impressive play I've seen all year when he essentially tackled Burrow and the offensive guard at the same time by just pushing the guard into Burrow, um, and just manhandling that offensive front, which we've seen handle some of the best defenses in the country. Um, and he's done game in, game out. He had a good game against Alabama. Um, you know, part of the reason why he uh, make, made Mac Jones uh, throw the pick sixes was because there was pressure up the middle. Um, and, and I think those impressive plays are going to lend itself to him op- overall winning it. Um, a lot of times with this trophy, it's tough to, to give it to somebody who hasn't, you know you know, has that wow factor. Um, but Derrick Brown has those wow factor plays this year that you can point to as to why he's going to win the Island trophy. So that's why I think he gets it over, gets over the hump, uh, not discrediting anybody else who he's in obviously competition for. They're all deserving of it, of it. But I think Derek Brown has the wow factor that pushes him over the hump.
0: Yeah, I am I'm with you on that. So I like Derek Brown for that one. What about the Thorpe award, Nick? It's Delpit, uh, Okuda and Reed for Georgia who comes away with the Thorpe award this year.
1: This one's really odd to me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, well,
1: <laughs> yeah, like, why are these three guys the finalists? I mean, you know, no, I, I certainly don't mean any disrespect to any of them, but uh, preseason, Grant Delpit absolutely would have would have thought that he was going to run away with this. Was uh, I wrote a big, you know, top one hundred players thing for fan side in the preseason. He was my number one guy, uh, but he struggled early on, yeah, and he's really dealt hard. with injuries, and and uh, I think at this point. We could argue he's the third best defensive back in his own secondary. I mean, Derek Stingley, the Stingley's true freshman, has been made. absolutely Whew. incredible. Uh, and, and you know, there there are some that that might say uh, that. Um. Oh gosh, I, I just <laughs> I lost my lost my train of thought here.
0: Uh, the LSU. That Christian Fulton, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That, that Christian Fulton uh, is getting a lot of you know first round buzz and, and things like that, and he's had an excellent, excellent season uh, playing the flex position there at LSU. So uh, those two guys, I think at this point, might be a little bit more deserving than Delpit. I mean, I, I, I you know, have loved what I saw out of Delpit as a freshman and sophomore, but I think his junior year, slightly disappointing, you know, against huge, huge expectations, but, uh, that, and then compared with, uh, with Fulton and, and is kind of, I'm not sure. So, uh, then I think, you know, J.R. Reed, okay. You know, he's, he's, he's been in the mix before. He's a preseason All-American type guy and, and, uh, is a, is a really good story. I mean, uh, he was, less, uh, highly recruited than Isaiah Simmons. So for him to, to come out and become a a guy that's made, uh, I want to say 41 starts in his career at Georgia, uh, is, you know, that's impressive. He's been on what a lot of people have called a no name defense. He's been kind of the face of it this year in, in some ways, but he, he really hasn't put up, Big numbers. I mean, tackles in the 40s, one interception. Uh, he did score on a fumble return, but uh, you know, just just not usually the the type of numbers that you expect out of a Thorpe Award winner. And the fact that he doesn't play corner, this traditionally has been, uh, you know, the the guys that come to mind immediately for me have been corner type guys. So uh, that that makes me think that probably Okuda has the, the maybe the, the best resume out of these three guys, I and mean, he does have three picks. Uh, he's, uh, you know, as talented as they come. I mean, he's another probably top of the first round type uh, talent. And that doesn't necessarily, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think pro prospects should should factor in here but uh out of these three guys i think from a resume standpoint he's he's, uh had the best year and he's he's done some really good things and ohio state has been excellent defensively statistically they've been among the best in the country all year and, and he's a big reason uh for that so i think he's got the edge but overall the this as a group of finalists is a little bit puzzling to me but i think okuda out of the three is probably most deserving
0: what do you think about this one Xavier?
2: I think somebody's getting snubbed, and I, and I genuinely think that Antoine Winfield should not only get, should not only be in this finalist, but I think he should get the award. Um, 80 tackles, three sacks, two forced fumbles, and seven interceptions. That's ridiculous numbers for, for a guy who won't even be on, who's not even a finalist, and wasn't even considered as one. I don't think J.R. Reid should be on this list uh, for everything Nick said. Uh, Statistically, he has not really done enough to be on this list. I think Grant Delpit is obviously on here because of more of his name uh, than his production. Um, You know, there were, you know, his, his draft stock has really fallen I I know he was coming in with uh, ridiculous expectations, you know, being almost thought of as the best defensive player in college football. You know, obviously that's before Chase Young decided to do what he did this year and everything else. Um, But his draft stock has dropped and akuda he's been good um, on a, on a a good defense, but if we match numbers for numbers, Antoine Winfield blows him out of the water. And I know that this is a primarily cornerback driven uh, award, but, the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, you, you when you, when the guy that is probably going to win the award in Akuda has four less interceptions than you, three less sacks, and fifty less tackles. I think at, at that point you have to think about who they're at, why they're giving the award to who they're giving it to.
0: Yeah, I think uh, some of these awards are definitely more preseason than anything, and <clears throat> you hope it's not going the way of baseball. I mean, some of those old old baseball writers you hear them talking about how. They won't vote for Mike Trout because they don't uh, stay up late enough to watch him, you know, things of that nature. Just really, really dumb logic. So I hope that's not playing in here. But it was it was kind of a weak group uh, for the Thorpe Award. But I'm with you guys. I think Okuda wins it as well. And the last one is the Walker, the Doak Walker Award. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. You know, before the season started, you would definitely I think all of us picked Taylor. And uh, that would have made sense. Uh, Dobbins would have been a decent selection as well. Uh, Chuba had an incredible year, though. Nick, who do you give this award to? Because all three of them are deserving. I think this is the opposite of the Thorpe Award. That's
1: exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) It is the total opposite of the Thorpe Award. You know, uh, give give all three guys Uh, the award you know I mean I think Taylor probably maybe gets the edge on just the career achievement sort of thing Uh, again that's not necessarily something we should take into account but through the first three years uh, you know in college football history Jonathan Taylor has been the most productive running back in history so uh, that I think gives him a slight edge. And, and, you know, from a numbers standpoint, these guys had the same year. All three guys had the basically the exact same year. Dobbins and Taylor played an extra game. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it took that extra game for them to catch up almost to Chuba Hubbard, uh, who is the nation's leading rusher with uh, 1,936 yards, 21 touchdowns. Uh, he, uh, you know, he and, and Taylor are tied there. Uh, second behind Levante Bellamy of Western Michigan, but uh, you know the the uh, everybody's got over eighteen hundred yards, everybody's got twenty touchdowns, everybody is, is broken off big uh, yardage, uh, you know long highlight runs, and and all three are capable of running over guys. Give them all the award, but you know Taylor is is probably going to get it. But these three running backs have just been incredibly special this is a special group and, and the clear top three guys and all of them are deserving
0: uh yeah so xavier how do you break this down all three being deserving
2: ah oh, man this is the tough this is tough um i think the one that won't get it i think chuba i think what's gonna hurt chuba from getting this award is the fact that his team didn't win and i know that that's not necessarily supposed to be taken in the awards like this supposed to be what the player did individually but Come on now, it's football. We're, it, it's going to be taken into account to a mm-hmm. certain extent. I think Jonathan Taylor wins this award, and the reason why he does is I be as I think that it's because he made up for his worst game of the season. I think if they if they um, played Ohio State again and he had another abysmal performance like he did the first time around when he only had 52 yards rushing, then it would have either gone to Dobbins or Hubbard. Uh, but when You go against the same team that was able to shut you down the first time. You have the same amount of carries, but instead of having 52 yards, you have 148. I think that that pushes him over the edge. Um, I think Dobbins is a great story. I think Dobbins um, is the guy who probably many people didn't necessarily expect to be here. Maybe they felt like it was going to be somebody like DeAndre Swift instead or maybe even Najee Harris out of Alabama. But I think that overall, Jonathan Taylor has put together – just, I think his resume and his work this year has been enough. And like I said, he he kind of made up for it his worst performance by you know rushing against Ohio State in the in the game that it mattered and putting his team at least on his back in that regard. Um, like I said, I think Chuba just misses out because his team didn't win, and it's unfortunate because I think personally, when you're able to do this, what he did numbers wise on a team that isn't great, it, it should be more impressive, right? But I think that people are going to look at the fact that they're eight and four, that, you know, against the bigger teams in the country that they played this year. You know, he was not able to do enough. Um, and that's just unfortunate. That's just kind of how it goes sometimes when you don't play on a team that's good enough to run the table. So I think Jonathan Taylor walks away with it.
0: I would give it to Chuba. I, I would give it to him because of what he did with, you know, the, the musical chairs, the quarterback we kind of yeah. saw. I mean, it was... Uh, it was Sanders for the majority of the season, but he got banged up and Drew Brown played a couple And Wallace games there. went down too. And Tyron right. Wallace went down. So there it was just like he was almost the entirety of the offense. So I agree with your point. I think he should win it, but I'm with you guys. I think that Jonathan Taylor will win it just because, you know, what, what is he like? He's third all time in rushing in three years uh, in college <laughs> yeah. football history. So uh, I think that... one,
1: one thing I failed to mention, sorry to interrupt, yeah, but go ahead. Uh, if Travis Etienne didn't play only three quarters yeah. a game, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, dude, that's certainly be in here. So he, uh, he got hurt a little bit. How, uh, Tua got hurt last year in the Heisman race Etienne, same thing. Wasn't right. even a finalist, but is, is certainly in the same conversation with these guys.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's a great point to make. So. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up. We got about uh, 10 minutes left before I got to leave here. So do we want to do coaching changes on this show, Nick, or you want to save it for the next show?
1: Well, I think, I think we will want to save a lot of it. I mean, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, coaching, the coaching carousel uh, is one of my favorite times of the year. I mean, it, it is, uh, it is unfortunate that, that, you know, guys get fired. I do know I don't, like that part of it for sure i mean we sometimes forget that these coaches not only are we talking head coaches here but by and large you know when a new guy comes in maybe he keeps one guy but the entire staff is is probably going to be let go that's a lot of families that that have to deal with transitions and at this highest level you know most of the guys are, are fairly well taken care of but down the food chain, even at the big schools, not so much. So, uh, you know, there, there's there's certainly a, a dark side to it. But I do like sort of the uh, the excitement of a new face, um, getting you know maybe a guy coming out of nowhere, uh, Sam Pittman the the Georgia offensive line coach. I mean, Xavier probably know knew Sam Pittman pretty well from all his yes his, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, in the in the you know recruiting videos. You know, when, whenever they would get a get a commitment or whatever, he'd, he'd put out some funny video. So you know, people who who were in the know uh, at Georgia knew Sam Pittman pretty well, and and you know, people at Arkansas probably knew about him because of his success there uh, as an offensive line coach under Brett Bielema. So you know, see him the the last couple of days uh, sort of get elevated to a national uh, spotlight and really, I think, take advantage of it. You know, I mean I've seen so many people uh, who you know, see him for the first time or or maybe getting their their first sort of taste of his personality and and have have responded uh, to say like, okay, you know i'm I'm interested to see this guy like I I like this guy I like his personality I'm interested to see what's going going on and have no idea what Arkansas is going to look like under Sam Pittman have no idea what sort of staff he's going to bring on I think at this point he's only he's got uh an offensive line coach he's an offensive line coach and he's he's you know, for his first hire as an offensive line coach. So interesting to see situations like that. How is the staff going to shake out? What, you know, are we going to see a change in scheme? All that sort of stuff. Steve Adazio got hired at Colorado State somehow. I mean, <laughs> earlier, earlier today, wow. I think two other guys, they were like, all right, you know, it's going to be, uh, or, or last night, all right, it's going to be Butch Jones. Oh, this morning, no, no, it's going to be Kevin Wilson. And, and then, you know, 15 minutes before they officially announced, they like, oh, no, no, no steve adazio like <laughs> uh, what what are, what are they doing you know so <laughs> i
0: mean
1: it's it, it's just i i i have a lot to say on all these guys so <laughs> i think we probably will uh save most of it but yeah. uh, what was the most
0: was that the most surprising one adazio to you well that,
1: it's it's the it's the most recent one so maybe i just haven't had time to really wrap my head around it i heard that uh urban meyer was really involved. Uh, with the the search there and a lot of all those guys that that you know, uh, I mean Butch Jones I don't think had any Urban Meyer ties unless I'm forgetting something. But Kevin Wilson was offensive coordinator at Ohio State and, and Jeff Halfley, who's at Ohio State now was a name. Colorado State alum, a uh, little bit disappointed. It it seems like he didn't get a, a you know a, a closer look for some reason. Not sure what happened there, but um, but uh, that I think was the most surprising. At first, I mean Pittman was pretty surprising. He's never been a coordinator before, getting right. his first head coaching job in the SEC. That's you know pretty pretty high profile stuff. Uh, so uh, that was maybe a little bit surprising, but it made I think more sense than Adazio. Um, But uh, you know that that one probably most surprising. Um, I mean, but uh,
2: is back at is is at FAU now. So, <laughs> that's right, that's uh,
1: right.
2: You know he doesn't have to move that far away. Um, you know, you know. Let's, let's look at the positives. Um, I think for me, it has to be that the lane, yeah, you know, lane lanes back, lane lanes back. He gets to play Saban every year now. Uh, we can bring out the signs for. Good bad, good bow, bad bow. Scratch him out and put good lane and bad lane. I can't, I can't wait for this. Um, I can't wait to have him beat out Saban uh, for some guys on the recruiting trail, which I can't wait to see him tweet about. Um, you know he's already tweeting at Alabama and at LSU. Um, you know, um, you know, so he's already getting fiery, and it's coming off the back of an Alabama not making the playoff too, which is even more of a you know an opportunity for Lane to take digs. I, I'm excited. I'm excited for him to be at Ole Miss and to see him, you know, back in a at a program that kind of fits his name. Um, you know, no, 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 no disrespect to FAU, but he's finally at a bigger program now.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch with him there. So I'm absolutely excited for that one too. But that is going to wrap it up for us. Nick, tell everybody about the CFB Winning Edge Patreon.
1: Yeah, if, if uh, you're interested in supporting this podcast supporting the three of us do check us out patreon.com slash CFB winning edge or in a little bit of a transition time of the year. Uh, our uh, final score predictions for the bowl games we will start rolling those out next week. Uh, and then we're also updating the 2019 FBS team profiles. Our our tier two patrons uh going through uh highlighting you know all the guys that are going to be uh, out of eligibility graduating We're updating all the games played, games started, all all that sort of stuff. So give you a a snapshot of where each team finished the year. Uh, Guys that are leaving early for the NFL draft, transfers, we're keeping track of all that stuff. And then uh, also behind the scenes, starting to get the 2020 team profiles ready. Our our launch date goal for that is the February signing day, uh, because at that point, pretty much all the Power Five recruits will be uh in place like 99.9 percent of them uh so for the most part we're almost you know going to be full steam ready to go 2020 there at, at the february national signing day so uh hoping to have all that updated and uh ready you know starters coming back and and uh new depth charts project, projected depth charts and all that sort of stuff so uh do check us out the uh <laughs> the, the the more uh patrons we get the quicker that stuff can get done, because then we'll be able to actually uh, go out and, and hire some help to help fill those in. So uh, the sooner you want it, if, if you're interested, already ready to look ahead to 2020, uh, you know maybe maybe consider uh, supporting us and, and helping us sort of get to that as soon as we possibly can, because we, we certainly want to. Uh, Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Uh, we would love your support. And of course, thanks to all of our patrons that have been with us all year and uh, really excited about the future.
0: Yeah, and stick with us. We got bowl shows. We got all kinds of off-season shows in the works for you as well. So stick with this podcast. Follow us all on Twitter, at CFBWinningEdge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, uh, T-R-I-C-H-E for his Twitter, and at Bogman Sports for me. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.